Welcome in to Outkick the Show. Hope all of you had fantastic weekends. I certainly did. I hope you have recovered from the ridiculousness that is our twice yearly time change that fires me up more and more the older I get. Uh, I am going to reveal for you my plan to make America's calendar make sense again. Uh, that will come a little bit later, but as we always do on the Monday edition of the program, I want to make sure uh, that I break down everything in the world of college football. A little bit of a scheduling note here. Going to have a Monday show, going to have a Tuesday show. Tuesday we'll do the NFL as we usually do, uh, but there will be no shows Wednesday and Thursday. I'm going to be down in Miami, uh, and then on uh, Friday, uh, we uh, will be back. We'll do the fade with Kelly Stewart, a.k.a. Kelly in Vegas. We'll do an outkick show. Everything will be good. Uh, I am headed down to Miami for um, a uh, several days for Clay and Buck, also overlapping with the third Republican debate. Uh, so we'll have a lot of content coming uh, for you on the radio side, uh, but a Monday show, a Tuesday show, and, uh, and then double shows on Friday from OutKick. Uh, the gambling picks are already up. I'm going to run through those today, which I usually don't do on a Monday, but I wanted to get those picks up for you before uh, I got on the road. Then I'm going to react uh, to the NFL for Tuesday show, just so you know where we're going. Okay, let's dive into what we learned over the weekend college football. I thought that Saturday was the best day of college football so far this season. Uh, from the moment the games kicked off at noon Eastern all the way through the primetime CBS game and then the uh, USC and Washington game, it was just a bevy of college football delights and a cornucopia, if you will. I knew it was a spectacular Saturday when at one point I look over and my third grader, is laying on the ground right in front of the television, but he's got himself a blanket, uh, and he's also got a pillow that he's using, and he just fell asleep. And uh, he was just, we just had too much going on that day, too much ex uh, excitement, too much activity. And, uh, and so he was, uh, he was out. Uh, and so when the game ended, the Washington win over USC, which we'll break down a little bit, Caleb Williams' reaction, what we learned from Michael Penix, all of that, uh, when the game was over, uh, I went to pick him up because he's like the only kid I have that I can still carry. Uh, you know, the the 15-year-old and the 13-year-old are too old. By the way, uh, second driving instruction, out on the main road with my 15-year-old on Sunday. This is what happens when there's a Titans uh, bye week. Didn't have to be locked in front of the television to get disappointed. Got out on the road with him for a second time. I don't know that anything compares with trying to teach a 15-year-old how to drive. I, I'm not sure I've ever done anything scarier in my life. And look, I've done some scary things. I've been shot at before. Uh, back in the day in high school, we got caught rolling. I think I've told that story before. I'm not sure that I've done anything scarier than try to teach a 15-year-old how to drive. Because you've got them out on the main road, and uh, you're somewhat confident but you're also simultaneously terrified. Um, and so uh, so anyway, that was the uh, the weekend here in the uh, Travis household. The young one falls asleep. I pick him up. I carry him uh, to bed. 
and when I put him down, he kind of pops up and he wakes up and he says, Dad, who won uh, Washington or USC? So I feel good about his chances to be a major uh, college football. In fact, he's already a major college football fan. I think he knows more players than me. Do you remember those days when you were like 9 or 10 or 11 and you started to know more players than your dad? I remember being that age and knowing way more players and way more numbers and everything else. And the reason why that happens is, like, I'm starting to turn into an old man. I remember when my dad was like this. And all the players start to run together from, like, the last 20 or 30 years of your life. And, you, you, I mean, they all seem like they basically played at the same time. So every time you're watching a game now, you're thinking about, I am anyway, 40 years now almost of watching college football, two generations. So uh, I, I remember back in the day, my dad would get like Herschel Walker and Jamal Lewis mixed up. And I'd be like, how is that possible? I'm like, oh yeah, I can kind of totally see it. It doesn't seem that long ago to me that Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel and Cam Newton were playing. And to my boys, that's like ancient history. That's like when my dad was getting Herschel Walker and Jamal Lewis mixed up. And I was like, how could you possibly do that? Um, well, you know, a lot of players start to run together. Uh, so anyway, my kids know players, numbers better than me now. I'm going to have to start hiring them to do uh, to do all the breakdowns. Um, and they'll now look at my rankings and be like, I don't know if that's right, Dad. Uh, but let's dive into what we learned in uh, the college football weekend. Alabama, look, I thought, and I bet a lot of you did too, when Jaden Daniels scored to put LSU up 28-21 to start the second half, I thought LSU was going to win that game. Credit to Alabama. They came back. I felt like the dropped pass uh, by the tight end, uh, Taylor, was monstrously huge uh, in a tie game at the time. Holding call obviously was big. That led to the first punt from LSU. Uh, Bama comes back down, scores again to go up 35-28. Then you get the tip ball interception, and then you get the hit, right? And that felt like a borderline uh, illegal hit to me. All right. I understand there are people out there and they're like, oh, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when you look at the way that we protect quarterbacks today, that felt to me like a borderline legal uh, hit certainly felt like it should be more than just roughing the passer. Felt like to me there should be a targeting call there. Um, I think Alabama got away with it. That changed the game. That basically ended the game. Uh, because from that point forward, LSU's offense was done. Jaden Daniels uh, is uh, is is their offense. I mean, he's an electric player. Uh, I think has to be a first-round talent. But give credit to Jalen Milrow, okay, on the other side of the ball. I don't think Alabama's that good at wide receiver. I don't think relative to past Alabama years. I don't think Alabama's that good at running back. I don't think Alabama's that good at offensive line either. I think Jalen Milrow is coming into his own. Guy rushes for over 150 yards. He can throw the deep ball pretty well. Again, in a year where I'm not sure there is a super elite level dominance in uh, the SEC or, frankly, in college football in general, like how good do we think Georgia really is, um, particularly without Brock Bowers, um, I maybe he's good enough to win the SEC basically by himself because I think the ceiling of the SEC in terms of elite-level performance is lower than it has been before. Uh, so Alabama gets the win. They basically lock up the SEC West. I don't think there's any world in which Alabama loses to uh, Kentucky and to Auburn. 
they could lose to either one of them, right? Because I don't think this is an off-the-charts level good Alabama team. Uh, but uh, to me, Alabama basically wins the SEC West, and now they're on to play against uh, to play against probably Georgia, although we'll see. Ole Miss gets the win over Texas A&M. I don't know what to say about Jimbo at this point in time. Congratulations, congratulations to Lane Kiffin. He's got Ole Miss at 8-1. and one. We'll talk about the gambling picks. Actually, maybe I need to do it on Tuesday because I think I'm going to have so much to say about college football. Maybe I'll do the ga- college football gambling picks on the Tuesday edition of the program. In fact, I will. Uh, but the gambling picks are up. You can go look at them already. Um, but I don't know what A&M does with Jimbo, right? My concern is no one that A&M could hire is head and shoulders above where Jimbo was from a resume perspective when they hired him. And so the biggest challenge that I see out there uh, is, look, you can get Elko uh, at uh, at Duke. You could get maybe, maybe you make a run at somebody like Lane Kiffin. Uh, maybe you look around and you say, hey, to somebody like Jamie Chadwell at Liberty, who nobody's paying attention to, guys 39-5 and five at Coastal Carolina, undefeated at Liberty so far this year. Maybe there's something like that that can make sense. I don't see a guy where I look at him and I say, okay, that guy is guaranteed to win at a super high level. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. I don't think there's a coach that makes a ton of sense. So, are you going to pay potentially, I don't know, $75 million to buy out Jimbo Fisher and then simultaneously go pay somebody $50 million plus guaranteed? That's a big swing. Uh, but I don't know when you look at AM. AM now looks like a seven and five team. It feels like they have so many different ways that they've found to lose. They can lose low-scoring defensive struggles like happened against Alabama and Tennessee. They can lose in blowout fashion against what I think it's fair to say is not a very good Miami team at this point. Uh, They can lose in blowout in uh, in high-scoring fashion against uh, Ole Miss. It just feels like A&M finds a wide variety of ways to lose games. And I don't think the talent on A&M is bad enough for them to be sitting at 5-4. and Uh, so I don't have an easy answer for Aggie fans out there who are desperately thinking, okay, what makes sense going forward? I really don't. Uh, Ole Miss now playing with house money. We'll talk about that, the college football gambling picks, which I'll uh, roll into the Tuesday edition of Outkick the Show right now. Um, also, uh, how about uh, Georgia getting the win over Mizzou? But I thought Mizzou was every bit as good. I didn't think Brady Cook played that well. Uh, Mizzou's quarterback. Um, I thought that the Georgia defense did fairly well, um, but I still feel as if Georgia is just okay, much like I feel like Alabama is just okay. Yes, both those teams are, what are they now, a combined 12-0, and 0, I, I think in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken, but it feels like they could have each lost multiple games. Does that mean Georgia's going to handle Ole Miss? I don't know. Does it mean Missouri's going to handle Tennessee? skeptical about what exactly to uh, to think's going to happen there. I just again don't think the ceiling on SEC football is as high as it has been. Okay, let's shift gears here for a moment. Let's go over to the Big 10. Uh Penn State blows out Maryland. 
Uh, I don't know that I'd really classify it as a blowout, but in the second half, certainly, uh, Ohio State got control of the game and pulled away from Rutgers fairly well. Michigan gives up a late touchdown, the most points that they have allowed so far. What's going on with the Wolverines? They're 9-0. They haven't really been challenged at all. They're headed on the road against Penn State. I have laid out for you why I don't think Michigan, the Big Ten, or the NCAA is going to be willing or able to do anything. But I will tell you that this weekend's game, the Big Noon, uh, Michigan at Penn State game, is going to be seen by many people as a referendum on exactly how much stealing signals aided and abetted Jim Harbaugh's rise uh, at Michigan. This winning streak that the Wolverines are on, the dominance that we have seen, we know that Penn State's not going to allow their signals to be seen. It feels to me a little bit like Michigan could be rolling into a buzzsaw in Happy Valley. The picks are up, early preview. I like Penn State to cover uh, in that game before all is said and done. Uh, so, three-way tie, by the way, if you're out there and you're like, what would happen if uh, if Penn State, uh, if Michigan and Ohio State all ended up tied at 11-1? and It would come down to who played the tougher schedule in the Big Ten West. I hate divisions. I think the Big Ten divisional uh, setup is the most indefensible in all of, uh, of college sports because the Big Ten West teams are a pale approximation of the Big Ten East teams. I think we should just take the top two teams at the end of the year, which is what is going to happen going forward. I'm not even that big of a fan personally on the concept of a title game. I'd rather have a larger college football playoff and not have title games because I don't think with the bigger the 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 uh, uh, the overall playoff is, the less I think people are going to care about who wins conference titles. It just gets diminished because everybody focuses on how the end of the season goes, much like happens in college basketball most of the time. You don't really care other than for seeding purposes who ends up winning the conference tournament, certainly, or who ends up winning uh, the overall uh, the, the overall college basketball uh, uh, the conference title. Because if you lose in the second round in the round of 32, but you won your conference, everybody still feels like the season was a failure because everything comes down uh, to the college football playoff. Oklahoma State. I want to give Oklahoma State credit for winning Bedlam. This was my blood bank guarantee. I didn't understand why Oklahoma was favored. If you looked at what Oklahoma did against Central Florida, and if you looked at what Oklahoma did against Kansas, going on the road for the 114th version of Bedlam, there isn't another year scheduled. Let me get on my soapbox right here and say this is where college football needs a commissioner. Bedlam should continue to happen, even though Oklahoma State is going to be in the Big 12 and Oklahoma is going to be in the SEC. Clemson plays South Carolina, Florida plays Florida State, Georgia plays Georgia Tech, Louisville plays Kentucky. There is the precedent in the final week of the season for SEC teams to be playing out-of-conference opponents. I don't understand why we couldn't have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State continue in that uh, in that uh, landscape there. Uh, it feels pretty easy to me to justify, again, continuing all those when you just look at all of the out-of-conference rivalry games that already exist in the SEC. But you knew this one was huge. I loved Oklahoma State to win this game outright. I told you to take them plus, I think I got them plus six and a half. Um, 
no-brainer. Congratulations to Mike Gundy. I think there's a good chance Oklahoma State rolls into the Big 12 title game against Texas, who also got the win. I didn't like the decision by Kansas State to go for it from the four-yard line. If you're first or second-yard line in overtime, I think that makes more sense. Fourth and goal from the four. You've been dominating in the second half. You have control of that football game. Young quarterback on the other side. I would have kicked the field goal, gone into second overtime, liked my odds better there. Uh, again, from the four, you pretty much have to throw it. Uh, and uh, and I didn't think that that was a very good risk-reward situation. But Texas gets the win, stays alive. Oklahoma now out of the playoff. Uh, and Texas is the only team that's still alive in the Big 12 uh, to be able to make it. Florida State came on one. They're the only ACC team that is uh, is still alive. Um, and uh, uh, I, I also have to talk, sorry, about Billy Napier. Uh, here's a crazy stat for you. Billy Napier now has, at LSU, Florida coach Billy Napier, after the loss to Arkansas, two and six Arkansas comes on the road in the swamp and wins. Uh, congratulations, KJ Jefferson, to, uh, to everyone at Arkansas, uh, to Pittman uh, for getting that win, even after they fired their offensive coordinator. Think about this for a minute. Uh, you end up in a situation where Florida now closes with at LSU, at Missouri, and then uh, Florida State in Gainesville. Florida is sitting at five and four. I think there is a very good, decent chance that they would go five and seven. If Florida goes five and seven, it would be a third straight losing season for the Gators. I went back and looked, and unless my data is wrong, this will be the first time that Florida has had three straight losing seasons since 1945 to 1947. Couple of stats on Billy Napier. Uh, Napier six and eight in the SEC, seven and eleven against the Power Five. Only win against a rival program so far was this year's Tennessee loss, which I told you was I thought at the time a really bad loss for Tennessee because I said Florida's a 500 caliber team and Florida Gator fans were all fired up. No, I was right. Uh, I think Tennessee's pretty good, right? Top 20 caliber team. How much different would this Tennessee season look like if the balls that had been decent in the first half against Florida were decent in the second half against Alabama? Win either of those games, and really Florida should have been a win. I think Tennessee wins seven or eight out of ten if they play Florida ten times this year. Florida's the one that really got away. Um, and Tennessee was dominant in the second half in that game, but they get, built themselves too much of a deficit, and officiating was a bit of a mess, all those things. How much different is the Tennessee schedule, right? Because then you're talking about going to Mizzou, and if you win what's likely to be a toss-up game, if you win that one, then you're looking at, hey, you know what? Uh, Tennessee could be in the playoff mix with this Georgia team coming to town. Um, here, by the way, I think the uh, Heisman Trophy is going to come down. Big win for USC, uh, for Washington over USC. Uh, Washington now needs to go 2-1 and one in their final three to get into the Pac-12 uh, playoff, Pac-12 title game at 11-1. and one. If that happens, they go against uh, uh, Oregon, who I think is going to be there at 11-1, and one, rematch of the earlier game. I think whoever plays better in that Pac-12 title game, Michael Penix or Bo Nix, is going to be your Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, my outkick top 10 right now, I've got Michigan number one, 
Georgia number two, Florida State third overall, Washington four. Again, big win. USC fires their defensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley cursed with never having a decent defensive coordinator. Ohio State at five. Still not sold on the Buckeye offense or at quarterback. Love Marvin Harrison Jr. I hope the Titans draft him. Uh, Oregon six. I think Oregon's going to win the Pac-12. My college football playoff right now would be Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Oregon. That's what I think is likely to happen. Uh, Texas at seven. Alabama at eight. How big could that week two matchup between Texas and Alabama end up being before all is said and done? There's a scenario where Alabama doesn't even make the college football playoff uh, because, let's say, Michigan or Ohio State wins out. Uh, let's say that uh, that Washington wins out. Let's say that uh, that you end up with Florida State winning out, and then Texas goes 12-1, and wins the Big 12. I think they would bump in that scenario 12-1 and Alabama, even as the SEC champ wouldn't get in. Uh, Ole Miss, I've got at 9. Penn State at 10. SEC power rankings, I don't think there's a lot to the SEC power rankings. I think it's relatively easy to explain, but right before I do that, uh, let me go ahead and tell you all about my friends at the uh, at Tunnel to Towers. You know, I uh, for over two decades, Tunnel to Towers has been there for our fallen first responders, military veterans, and their families. If a spouse dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty, the foundation will provide the surviving family members with a mortgage-free home. They've provided over a thousand mortgage-free homes with new ones being announced almost daily. To learn more about the foundation's mission, their impact, and how you can help support our nation's heroes, visit t2t.org slash donate. That's t2t.org slash donate. I donate to Tunnel to Towers. I played in their golf event most recently. I heard from the widows in person about all of the difference that they are making all it takes is $11 a month donate whatever you can afford these people my friend Frank Siller does incredible work t2t.org slash donate um appreciate uh all of uh all of you who are doing your best uh to help out there um all right SEC power rankings not very complicated I don't think there's very much difference of opinion that is even out there right now. I would have Georgia 1, Alabama 2, Ole Miss 3, LSU 4, Missouri 5, and Tennessee 6. I don't think you can have any other teams right now in your top six. In fact, maybe the most surprising thing about the SEC season so far has been, other than that Tennessee-Florida game, which I mentioned, there haven't really been that many huge upsets. More than a touchdown underdogs winning uh, has not happened very often so far this year. So I think that's clearly the top six. Texas A&M, I've got seven. I still think the Aggies probably about average for the SEC. They have better than average talent. I've got Kentucky at eight, Auburn at nine, Mississippi State at 10, Arkansas 11, uh, Florida 12, South Carolina 13, and the always, always sad Vanderbilt Commodores at 14 overall. All right, there's my college football breakdown. Tuesday's edition of the program, which all of you should know, I'm going to record right now 
because I've got to hop on a flight as soon as I finish my radio show today to head to Miami. I'm going to break down every NFL game except for Monday Night Football, which is actually happening tonight. Uh, But I'll give you all my college football gambling picks, which are up, uh, and we'll get you ready uh, for uh, the weekend of action in the NFL. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I am Clay Travis, and this has been OutKick the Show.